0: Alrighty, good morning. Yeah, go ahead and take your seats at this time. Uh, you know, this is something we do in the church I serve at. Um, you know, before we go into the Word of God, we take the time to say hello and good morning, and greet each other with a holy hug. Uh, you know, the holy kiss is a very cultural thing, and if you've ever been to the Middle East or that parts of the world, people greet each other with a kiss in the cheek, uh, and it's very enduring for me personally. Um But that being said, uh, I just got back from uh, Germany uh, about a few days ago, so i 'm a little jet lagged and then lost of the time uh, but by the grace of god, i'm here I'm excited to share god's word with you. Uh, my son is stationed in Germany in uh, the city called Koslaten we call it k town it's just a long name, uh, but he's serving there in the army, and we went to visit there, and we travel. All over Europe, we went to Paris, we went to Geneva. Um, and if you've ever been to Geneva, you've got to walk through the Reformation Walk, okay? It's a, it's a park. It has a statue of Calvin and, and uh, John Knox. It's a pretty amazing place to see that the Reformation movement was birthed from Germany. Amen. Uh, but that being said, uh, today I want to share with you uh, from Acts chapter 2 verse 42 to 47, and I titled the sermon, Unity in Community. Unity in Community. Now, if you remember, I know some of you don't even remember what you heard last week, but if you remember last time I was here, I was preaching on the necessity of the church to be holy. It was in the book of Hebrews, where God calls the church out of the world and to be separate from the world, and to be a holy church. But as God calls us out of the world, and we become the church, one of the essential needs of the church, and what I mean by the church, I'm talking about both the universal global church and the local church, in this context, Grace Sovereign Bible Church, or the Sovereign Grace Bible Church Southern Grace Bible Church, right? Okay, I get that right, okay. Amen. Okay. The necessity of unity is what God calls us as a church to be, to unite it, to be united. Now, before I go into that, I mean, um, one of my favorite uh, theologians or biblical historical leader is uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And he wrote a book called Life Together. I would encourage all of you to read it. I recommend highly of your reading. He had written this book during his imprisonment for resisting the Nazis because Hitler and the Nazis felt that Bonhoeffer was a threat. I love that. I love that. You know, I prayed that the church will be a threat to our government. Amen. If the government goes astray, if the government denies God or at least common law of grace, then we as a church are to be a prophetic voice against the, the the government and be a threat to the government. Amen. Derek Bonhoeffer was a threat. His theology, his truth, his teaching of the gospel was a threat. But while he was in prison because, again, he was a threat to the government, he writes this, The physical presence of other Christians is a source of incomparable joy and strength to the believer, a physical sign of the gracious presence of the triune God, How inexhaustible are the riches that open up for those who, by God's will, are privileged to live in the daily fellowship of life with other Christians. Further, he writes, Let him who has such a privilege thank God on his knees and declare it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in fellowship with Christian brothers. Do you understand? Didic Bonifer was in prison. He could not go to church on a Sunday morning. He was isolated from believers, to a fellowship of believers, community. And he realized that being in community, being part of a church, a local church, it is God's grace upon your life and my life. God has never called the individual Christian to live in isolation. But God has called you and I to live in community, live in unity in community. The church is important. Because someone said amen. Why? Because the church is the body of Christ. I have met so-called Christians. I love Jesus, but I don't like church. That's okay. God doesn't like you either. He loves you. Amen. You know, I'm a pastor, right? And I tell you, I'm going to be candid and transparent with you. I don't like everybody in my church. Some of them are stinky, like spiritually, rebellious, stubborn, foolish, sinful, stiff-necked. Hard-headed, arrogant, pride. But God still caused me to love the church. You know how people say, oh, the church is filled with hypocrites. Well, you'll fit right in then, come on. You'll fit right in. Are we not all, some degree, hypocrites before an absolute, righteous, holy, sovereign God, and that is why we need Christ, and that is why we need each other. You know, when I was growing up at the church, we had fellowship, fellowship. Um, but I tell you, if you grew up in a church like I did in the 70s and 80s, all right, fellowship was not fun. They usually served stale donuts, Okay? And uh, they didn't talk about the Bible. People talk about their business, their work, their life. They didn't talk about Christ. It was superficial. It was high and by. That was called fellowship. Now, the Greek word of fellowship is called kononia. It's not just gathering to share a cup of coffee and donuts. It's more than that. Is deeper than that. It is. It is the expression when we gather together in community. It is expressing the attributes of the Triune God. You might ask Pastor Ed, "How is that so?" God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who existed before anything ever was created who in eternity was in perfect community and when he created man in his image he created you and i to also to be in community and when sin entered into this world that community that bond between god and man and adam and eve was separated and man since that time on, has always been separated from each other. And God, through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the purchase of his blood, who took away the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles, between whites, blacks, Hispanics, and Asians. Come on. Brought us together to be one, to be united in community. Amen. Amen. The local church, when we do community, when we do life together, we are expressing the attribute of who our triune God is. Community is not for your needs alone. Community is to glorify God. When we express God's attribute, right? We are glorifying God. And when we glorify God, we, you and I, Experience the greatest joy and satisfaction in our hearts. You know, I have to be honest with you. I think it's a sad state when the world is more transparent, open, honest, caring than sometimes the church is. My prayer for you, for Sovereign Grace Bible Church, that you will be a church that pursues Christ and to be united in community. And you know what? It's not just my prayer. It was a prayer of Jesus. Read John chapter 17, the Lord's great high priestly prayer for the church. He writes here in John 17, verse 9 through 11, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All my are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. He's referring to the church. He's referring to you and I. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That was the prayer of Jesus, that the church would be one, Just as the Father is one with the Son, just as the Son is one with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is one with the Father, the perfect triune community, God calls you and I to pursue that same unity. That was Jesus' prayer. And you know what? That prayer has been answered. When any believer is given salvation through Jesus Christ, he is And she or she is immediately, immediately placed into the union of the body of Christ. So the believer now is called to pursue that oneness and community. This unity is worked out in our conduct, in our attitude, in our life, in our giving, in our serving, in our praying, in our loving one another. We have a shared life. We have a shared eternal life. We have a shared faith. We have a shared love. We have a, a shared gospel. We have a shared purpose. That is to glorify God. We have a shared ministry to proclaim the gospel in the advancement of the kingdom. We have a shared truth that is revealed to us in the Holy Scriptures. And we have a shared power which is the Holy Spirit. And so today, this morning, like I said, I've only had three points. The first point I want to share with you is united in faith, verses 42 to 43. Second, united in love, verses 44 to 45. This is Acts chapter 2. And then finally, united in grace, verse 46 to 47. United in faith. Look at verse 42 to 43. And as they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the Greek word kononia, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, verse 43 says, All came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through. The apostles. So first, we are called to be united in faith. Now, you could actually literally say united in the faith. The faith. It is referring to the basic core essentials of the Christian faith. Now, that, I love the fact that when you go or travel around the world, right, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I travel around the world, literally. I, I, I've been in Europe. I've been in Asia. Last summer, I was in Turkey uh, with a, for a mission, um, short mission team trip um, in the Middle East. And whenever you meet Christians, right, they might come from different backgrounds. They might have a different culture different language but when you meet a true believer no matter where they're from no matter what country there is a common faith the faith the faith that saves us okay it's not referring to your faith I'm talking about the faith what we believe in what is taught in scripture the essentials of the scriptures. Now we have to understand, right? There is things in the Bible that we ought to be united. Okay? I, I call these close-hand issues. Okay? These are things that you and I are willing to fight for and die for. The person of Christ. Salvation through grace, through faith alone. Not by works. The triune God. Those things that are clear in Scripture, we will hold on to this, and we will fight and even die for it. But that being said, those things that are open-handed. Those things that are really not clear in Scripture. As St. Augustine writes this, that he says that in, in, in essentials, unity, right? in the non-essentials, liberty, but in everything, charity. So I want to challenge you, sovereign grace Bible church, who hold to the truth of Scripture, who hold to solid doctrine, sometimes don't let your preference or your personal opinion become a core value. You and I should be willing to fellowship with those who might be a little bit different than your personal preference. Are you here? Are you with me? Let me give, let me give you an example. Okay, let me give an example. Right? Okay. Oh. I personally believe that baptism in the water should be fully immersed. That's my personal conviction. And even I would say it's a personal preference. Now, some churches pour water, some churches sprinkle, right? And I guess if there's no water, I guess some churches spit, right? If you come across a church that practices that, you better run, okay? But I believe in my personal preference and understanding of Scripture that baptism by immersion, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, shows the picture of being dead with Christ and be risen from the dead with Christ. But am I going to split, divide, and not fellowship with a believer who doesn't hold to that belief? I am not. I am not. Sometimes I think the church is so divided on minor issues that we forget we ought to be united in the major issues. Amen. Amen. But that, But that being said, right, we ought to be advocates. We ought to be defenders. We ought to be bold. We ought to be united in those things that are essential to the faith. To the faith. See what they said here? Look at verse 22. They were devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted. They were committed. And the fellowship, meaning the body of Christ. It goes on to talk about the breaking of bread. This, this breaking of bread, this ideal here, it has two meanings. It could literally mean, like, having a meal with somebody. Now, I don't know about you. What's fellowship without having a good meal? Amen. Okay? All right? Um, getting together with fellow brothers and sisters and giving thanks and sharing a meal and, and, and doing life together. Man, that is, that is there's nothing better than that, right? As you feed your soul and you feed your stomach. Amen. But this is also has the idea of the breaking of bread. As Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. It's communion. It's, it's the idea that the, the believers came together. And when they came together, the focal point was Christ. Was the gospel. That Christ died and rose from the dead. And let me tell you something, any fellowship that does not focus on Christ is not Christian fellowship, but just another social gathering. It's another social gathering. But when we come together, our hearts should focus on Christ. Our minds should be focused on Christ. Our desire is to glorify Christ, even in community, and there's nothing more sweeter than prayer in community, isn't it? isn't it? Isn't it sweet when we pray for one another, when we pray for those who are sick, when we pray for those who are hurting, when we pray and come together? I love what Jesus says, right? I mean, Jesus was not into mega churches. amen. He said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am in the midst of them. Amen. And we are, when we are gathered together in the name of Jesus, there's sweet fellowship. There's a the presence of God. And I love what this says here. And all came upon every soul. There was an excitement. There was an awe. N- let me let me ask you something this morning. Now, if you're first time here and you are not a Christian, uh, you can shut me off for like two minutes here, okay? But if you are a Christian and you say you love Jesus, are you excited to come to church on a Sunday morning? Come on. I love the church. I mean, as a pastor... I get to preach to people. Man, what a joy that is. I get to yell at people for an hour, and I get paid for it. Amen. (laughs) Now, that's not the reason why I love the church. I love the church because when I'm with God's people, I experience God's grace. You know, uh, I never planned to go to prison, okay, um and um, the only reason I would go to prison is if somebody hurts my family okay I I, I, I I plan to go uh willing to go to prison uh if somebody hurts my family okay that being said, if I was in prison yeah. if I lived in a persecuted country and I was put in prison for preaching the gospel okay the worst punishment the worst the worst punishment that anyone could Put upon me is solitary confinement. And you know what? You know what? That's what they do to the worst of worst criminals. Because they're a danger to others. And so to put them in solitary confinement, people lose their minds. Because God has never created you and I to be in isolation. God has created us to be in community. You know, um, if you know me a little bit, uh, I, I am an extrovert. I love being with people. I thrive being with God's people. Okay? Now, my wife is diff- She's a little different. Okay? She is an introvert. Now, it doesn't mean she doesn't like community. She's just like small context community. Right? But you, you know the joke in my family? You know why extroverts like me need introverts like my wife? Because we need an audience. But my point here is this. We ought to be united in the faith. You know, I walked in here this morning and saw this banner. Sola Scriptura. Sola Fida. Sola Gloria. Grace. Christa, sorry. My eyes are going um, dim. And Sola De Gloria. Man, church, Remind yourself, this is what you ought to be united with. United in the faith. And people were in awe. Every soul, it says here. And it says that God did many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, I don't want to take too much time into expound that phrase here, but first of all, let me say this: we no longer have apostles. Okay, the foundation of this church was built on the teachings of the prophets of the Old Testament and apostles. There are no living so-called Old Testament prophets right? or apostles. If anyone comes around and says, I'm an apostle, no, he is a false teacher and he's a wolf. But in the beginning of the church... God did amazing, miraculous signs and wonders to the apostles. Now, that being said, does God still do miracles? Now, amen. Now, I would say, first of all, the greatest miracle is when God saves a sinner. Amen. That is the greatest miracle. No greater miracle. But does God still heal the sick? Does God still do miracles? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Now I have to tell you a story. Um, it happened about four months ago. I was at this a grocery store, just on a Sunday, and um, it was uh, uh, it's called State of Brothers where I live in Buena Park, and I see this cashier all the time. Okay, um, and he's giving me permission to share his story. His name is Manny, and, you know, we had short talks, a conversation, and I'm trying to get stuff right before church, and I'm usually dressed decently, usually without a tie, um, but I'm here with a tie with you, uh, you know, Elliot doesn't have a tie, the uh, <laughs> Paul doesn't have a tie, but that being said, amen, uh, so he asked me one Sunday, uh, what, what do you do? I said, oh, I'm a pastor. It was all great, okay, and um, not much deep conversation. Three months ago, um, I was checking out some items, and this is a Sunday morning, and he says, um, you told me you were a pastor, right? I said, yes, I am. Um, do you have a few minutes to talk? I said, sure. And so we step aside, and he's not a believer at that time, and he shares with me that could you pray for me? I've been diagnosed with stage four stomach cancer, and the survival, the chance of survival is less than 10%. I prayed with him, and what I prayed was this I said, God, if it's your will that you would heal his body, but I pray more than Lord that you would save his soul. So he went into chemotherapy and, and done the surgery, and three weeks ago, he texted me. We exchanged phone numbers. He says to me, Pastor Ed, I want to thank you. I am today cancer-free. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Now, I'm not here to tell you that God is here for your health, wealth, and prosperity. If you want to hear health, wealth, and prosperity, listen to a false teacher called Joe Osteen. But at the same time, why do we as a church not believe God is able to heal the sick when God is able to create, or He did create the world in, in six days? Let's believe God. But more than anything, right, let's pray that those who are sick, their faith will be strengthened. Because sometimes God chooses to heal, sometimes God doesn't choose to heal. And that's okay, because if you are in the faith and you die, you and I will be in a better place. Where there's no more sickness, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears, and no more death amen amen so god calls us to be united in the faith and when peter preached his first sermon in the book of acts he preached the faith what is the faith look at acts 2 verse 22 he stood up and he said men of israel hear these words jesus of nazareth A man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourself know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of the lawless man. God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it is not possible for him to be held by it. That is the faith. Jesus, who was crucified, who was buried, and who was raised for the dead. That is the faith. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of the gospel, God now calls us to live in gospel community through the faith that we have hope in. So that's my second point. God caused us to be united in the faith, and God caused us to be united in love. Look at verse 44 to 45. We're still in Acts chapter 2. And all who believed were gathered together and had all. Say that with me. All. Okay, I, I did a word study on the word all in Greek, in English. And all means all. <laughs> now this is amazing. This is truly amazing. That all who believed. Right? And this is the beauty of the first church. The first church was filled with true believers. Now today... Churches across America and across the world in the church, okay, we have both the wheat and the tares, and sometimes it's hard to distinguish both of them or between them, sorry, improper in, in grammar, sorry okay. but the first church they were all believers, and because they were all believers, they were all united, and it says that they had all. Things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. I'm telling you, this is truly amazing. The first century believers had all things in common, referring both the faith and how they live out their faith, both spiritual and material blessings. They were selling their material possessions and sharing them with those who had any need. Now let me say this and then will go back to this, alright? Let me say a side comment. This is not teaching communism. Communism is when the government takes your things, right? They take it by force and distribute it to others. Christian community Is not taken, but it is freely given to the needs of others. So I'm not here to talk about uh, promoting communism or some form of socialism here. The believers willingly were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. You and I, all of us, should have an attitude that whatever material blessings or whatever financial blessings you have, it doesn't belong to you. It does not belong to you. God has given us the responsibility to be good stewards of all these things. And if we had that attitude... Knowing that we are stewards of these blessings, we will be more generous. You know, the Bible talks about giving, giving generously, giving, giving regularly. And it actually, in, in 1 Corinthians, it talks about give with a cheerful heart. Like give as, like, like, as you laugh, like, like, like with hysterical laugh, give with joy. Do You know why God calls us to give? Because when you give, it frees your heart of greed. It frees your heart of greed. It frees your heart of idolatry, of your love, of money, love of material things. And by the way, you and I know that we're not going to take anything with us, right? Naked we came, naked we leave. The ESV version, it's uh standard version, Okay. But naked you came, but naked you leave. Amen. So why do we hold on to our material goods so tight? Why? Why? Why do we do that? I mean, look at all the things you bought. Look at all the toys you had. Look at all the look at all these material things. And, and and some of you are holders. Oh my gosh. have you seen that uh, show? Like they're, they're they're called super holders. Like. It's like they're, they're, they're sick in their hearts. So the Bible calls us to give regularly and give faithfully and give generously. Because why? Giving is an expression of love. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And when we give church, you are demonstrating the love of God. Look at First John, chapter three, verse 16. not John 3:16. First John 3:16. It says here, "By this we know love, that He laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart. Against him, how does God's love abide in him? Church, let me ask you something: If a fellow brother or sister is in need, and the church does not meet that need, how can we say that God's love abides in us? Little children, let us not love in word. Or talk, but indeed in deed and truth. Let me paraphrase this. Love is not a feeling. It's not. Now I, I, I see it's like sections of people here. Okay? And I, I want to talk to young people right there. I love young peeps. Now you might be dating. Maybe you were married less than a year and you got no kids. And I'm sure you're in much love. Okay? But let me tell you something. What you're experiencing right now, that's not love. Those are feelings. Those are sentimental feelings. Now when I was dating my love, I was in love with her. Like, 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 like I had bubbling emotions, romantic feelings toward her. We've been married now 27 years. And by the grace of God, Um, hope to be married another 27 years, okay? Um, But you know what? Those romantic feelings that I have or I had with her, like 28, 29 years ago when I was dating and engaged and and we were in a honeymoon stage, um, it's not there anymore. You know, we wake up in the morning sometimes, And, you know, my wife's hair is like this, and my breath is kicking it like Bruce Lee. Um, And I see her, and she sees me. There's no romance feeling. There's, there's, There's absolutely no romantic, sentimental feeling towards each other. But let me tell you something. I love her more now than I ever did before. Church, you understand? Love is obedience to Christ. Not because you feel like it. Not because it's convenient to you. Not because it's going to benefit you. Love is sacrificial. Let me ask you something, okay? When Jesus was in the garden, knowing that he would go to the cross and shed his blood and to be beaten and scourged and mocked and, and crucified, do you think he had feelings for you and I? Like, do you think that he had, like, 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 lovey-dovey, sentimental feelings to you and I? No. But what drove him? What drove him? It was the love of God that was driven by his love for the Father and obedience to the Father. And to love sinners. And we are called to be united in love. Let me tell you something. I am truly, truly concerned about the church in America today. Now, I heard during COVID you guys still met. Good for you. Good for you. Right? Um, to me, what COVID did, it just exposed how weak the church is. Church, churches have closed. And so many churches have never reopened again. I guess, I guess maybe that may be a good thing, right? but i heard that even during covid you guys met you guys have worship we have fellowship together okay now i know listen 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 if you have health issues let's please please i strongly recommend like take all the precautions okay but i asked myself were we more concerned about being healthy and living a long life on this earth or were we more wanting to be with the Lord Jesus Christ, if COVID shut down churches, could you imagine if real persecution came to America? Real persecution. But see, honestly, my concern was in COVID. You know my concern for the church in America is is selfishness and narcissism. You know what it destroys marriages? You know what destroys churches? It's selfishness and narcissism. It's this idea that I could do this by myself. It's the worship of self, it's worship of you instead of worshiping of God. I mean, again, in First John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because why? God is love. In this, the love of God has made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him, in this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If you love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. Amen. I'd like um, I to share a. A incident that happened to one of our church members uh, two years ago. It was um, on Christmas morning of 2021. It's a family of seven people, four kids, five kids, and um, you know, wife and husband, and um, they were living at an apartment above the parking facility. Okay, um, it's a little rundown apartment, uh, but somebody's car caught on fire, right below their apartment. Um, and this was Christmas morning, right? And their apartment caught on fire. And on Christmas morning, they lost everything. They lost everything. Everything. And so they were, overnight, that day became homeless. Right? And I didn't know what was going on, and it was until afternoon. Uh, the wife came to me in my office and shared what happened, and so I asked our church people to give because, first of all, uh, they had some some money saved, so they were moved. They were able to move into an apartment, but you know how the, uh, you know insurance, and you know if you ever lost or uh, had damage to your house, it takes time to. Uh, to get insurance kicked in. and uh, Anyway, I don't want really to get too much into that, right? But they end up having to live at a hotel with a family of seven, right? Five kids and two uh, adults for almost three months at a hotel. Okay. And I've asked our church, let's provide for their needs. Let's give to their needs. And you know what? Our church people responded. And for three months... The generosity of God's people and the love of God's people demonstrated of giving. We were united in love, and we were able to provide for their kids and a husband and wife and the place to stay in a shelter for three months until they were finally able to find a more permanent place to live. Now, I'm not here to brag about our church. Our church could do better. We all could do better. Amen? Okay? But I share this with you, is that if there's a need, we ought to meet that need. I'm looking at what the principle of Acts says here. That they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the purchase to all as any had need. They were truly united in love. And finally, we are called to be united in grace. Look at verse 46, 47. Acts 2. It says here, and day by day, attending the temple together. Now you have to remember, right? We assume that because we are comfortable with coming to church, the first believers met at temples because the first believers were Jews. Attending the temple together and breaking in bread, which I talked about earlier, in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, I love this. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to focus on this phrase here, praising God and having favor or grace with all the people. Now, this was a truly amazing community. There, there was grace to be found in Christian community. We experience God's grace when we pursue each other in the gospel community. We experience the favor of even others when we live out the Christian faith and loving community. Let me tell you something. I believe That the church has something that the world is truly longing for. I believe that. It's gospel community. It's gospel community. What we're seeing today in in, in America is that people are more and more in isolation. Why? Because I call it due to the invention of the dumb phone. Now, you call it a smartphone. It just makes people dumber. People, did you know an average person, an average American, spends between four to five hours a day on the dumb phone? It not only makes you dumber, but it isolates you from other people. And we're seeing the after effects of young people or children growing up in with technology and a smartphone. Again, I call it the dumb phone. Because it makes you dumber, okay? Amen? Right? And what are we seeing? Psychiatrists are seeing that it's causing depression, narcissism, suicidal thoughts, low self esteem, and every psychological issue because the dumb phone. But really, that's the tool, but the root of it is isolation. Isolation. Isolation causes so much mental health issues. Isolation and being independent and not in community, I call it gospel community, there are so much horrific implications being in that state you know just the other day uh, <clears throat> we just came back from europe and you know my wife and i um uh, uh, please don't take an offense uh we love korean food over every other food amen uh, and guess who also, guess who also love korean food elliot loves korean food amen uh and I uh, actually uh, took them out for lunch, and we went to get some Korean barbecue. Uh, and that's some good eating. Amen. Uh, you think the South does barbecue well? No. You know what goes after Korean? BBQ. Amen. All right? <clears throat> and I was sitting there with my wife, and we were ordering, and I was just looking around. I just love to observe crowds, right, and how they interact. I cannot believe there were about six or eight families sitting together, eating, and their child... They were probably 7 or 8 years old. All the children were on a smartphone. That is tragic. They're sitting together as a family, going out to eat at a restaurant, and their child is glued to the smartphone. Parents, please. Parents, please. Please. Monitor. Your child's time in the smartphone. Don't use a smartphone to raise your child. You ought to raise your child. A- amen? Come on. If the family cannot have community because of smartphone, how much more challenging is it when the church comes together? You know what I want to challenge some of you? Okay, I'm going to challenge some of you. Do a 30-day media fast. Like, turn off your smartphone for 30 days. Every single time you have an urge to look at your smartphone, read the Bible. Man, that's a foreign concept. Come on. Did I get an amen or is that a applaud? I really believe that will be the detriment of the church. Well, people would say, well, I don't need the church. I could have church at home with my smartphone. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Now, thank God for the internet. Thank God for uh, uh, technology. That this sermon could be heard, if it's recorded, all across the world. Amen. But we never substitute gathering together, united in God's grace, united in love, united in faith, over The internet. I know what I'm saying is not popular. I don't care. If you're offended, good. I hope you're offended. Because see, if you're offended by what I'm sharing with you, the necessity of unity and community through love and grace and in the faith, then you have to ask yourself, do you know Jesus Christ? Because when Jesus Christ died and he gave us his grace, God calls us to live in community and express grace to one another. And we testify that truth. We are proclaiming Jesus Christ. I've referred again to 1 John. In chapter 1, verse 1 through 4 says and I'm going to wrap this up here. Um, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which you have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, referring to Jesus Christ. Now take this out, verse three. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship community with us, and indeed our fellowships with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our our joy may be complete. So when I'm referring to being united in grace, is that being in community, we experience the grace of God. When we're in Christian community, we experience the love of God demonstrated through you and I when we forgive one another, when we pray for each other. Isn't it true, right? It's inevitable when people come together, there's going to be tension, right? There's going to be friction. It happens. Just like marriage. You know, marriage is very challenging, you know why? Because when you were living by yourself, there was only one sinner. But when you get married, times two becomes two sinners. And then when you have kids, sin multiplies. Isn't it true? And when when a church is, is small in numbers, there's less issues. Not always, but, but compared to a, a bigger church, because... The more people in a church, the more sinners, so the more issues. But see, that's when God calls us to demonstrate grace. Grace isn't living your life with those you like and you're comfortable with. Grace or gospel grace in community is living and doing life with people that you might not get along, you might have friction. You might hurt them, or they hurt you, but we demonstrate grace with one another through gospel community as we point others to Jesus and the gospel. And when we do that, let me tell you something. The world is longing to see that. The world's hungry to see a community that's demonstrating grace. And so we ought to be united in grace. In conclusion, could I get the band or uh, come up so we could wrap this up? In the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned to you about Bonhoeffer in his writing concerning community of believers. Let me close with this quote from his writing. He wrote, "We thank God for what He has done for us. We thank God for giving us brothers." who live by his call, by his forgiveness, and by his promise. We do not complain of what God does not give us, but rather we give God thanks for what he has given us daily through his grace. And is this not enough? He continues to say, We will not, will not his sin meaning referring to the believers, be a constant occasion for me to give thanks that both of us may live in the forgiving God of Jesus Christ? Thus the very hour of delus- uh, disillusionment with my brother becomes incomparable, solitary thanksgiving because it. So thoroughly teaches me that neither of us can ever live by our own words and deeds, but only by that one word and deed which really binds us together, the forgiveness of sin through Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we are all sinners. We are all beggars. telling other beggars and sinners where there's forgiveness in Christ at the foot of the cross. And Lord, we come before you. Thank you for Jesus, our Redeemer. We thank you for Jesus, who is the head of the church. We thank you for Jesus, who has saved us all. And we thank you, you have called us to be in gospel community so we may be united in love, united in grace, and united in the faith. And by your work, finished work on the cross, we cling to you and we cling to each other. For in it you have provided us salvation, redemption, forgiveness, and the hope of heaven and the presence of and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as we share a common life. Lord, cause us to pursue one another as we pursue Christ. I pray, Father, that no one in this church will be in isolation, that everyone would find a home here, a community, to live out their faith, to live out their love, and to live out their grace that was poured into our hearts through your Son, Jesus Christ. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand, if you can, as we um, close the service.